the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing potential players that are going to boost their draft cost if they have a big playoff series and a whole bunch of other players on playoff teams and expectations for next year. But first, there was a tidbit that I read on Rotoworld earlier. It was Travis Snyder is not on the Pirates NLDS roster. And I'm like, Travis Snyder? He's still on the Pirates in Major League Baseball? I completely forgot he existed. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's a sad story. I don't think – I'm not sure that it's totally over, though. I mean, okay, it's probably probably over. (laughs) I I just – you know, he used to have way more power and then – you know, he, he tried to change things. You know, I think I think he you know, I think there is still a chance that somebody some hitting coach out there finds, um, you know, finds the, the solution for him. Because you look at somebody like Brandon Moss on the A's roster here and he was like, you know, teams wanted him to make contact and be a spray hitter and be a, a, a single sort of backup fourth outfitter guy. And he tried to do that for a while. And then he came to Oakland and Chili Davis was like, no, sell out. You know, I don't care if you strike out 25% of the time. I want you to hit 25 to 30 bombs. And it totally worked for him. So I feel like it's not out of the question that Travis Snyder, who's like, I think only like 26 or something, uh, even after all this time, uh, that someone finds him and says, no, no, you be you. You sell out for power or you do this or you do that and um, and finds a way to make him more useful. But uh yeah, he was still kicking around. I, you know, I, I don't know who is their fourth outfielder. So I mean, Marlon Byrd sort of took that over. So I guess Tabata. Tabata, yeah, or, or maybe Garrett Jones is also a you know first base outfield uh, alternative. Oh, that made it, that made it less likely that uh, Snyder, that Snyder was going to make the postseason roster. I guess. Yeah, I mean Snyder, it's pretty crazy because he he always had strikeout problems, but then he always brought really good power and and great power potential along with him. Now the power is gone, and his highest isolated slugging percentage since 2011 is 128. That's pathetic for a guy that strikes out as often as he does, and for a guy who is supposed to have really good power. So I don't know what happened to him, and he's probably still at a a young enough age to not completely give up, but I think at this point it would be surprised if he has any... Thing worthy of uh, you know fantasy consideration or, or any decent performance in the future. All right, let's talk about our most interesting player alive today, and that's Dan Ugla. Speaking of disappointments, I guess maybe I wasn't that surprised that he was left off of the NLDS roster versus the Dodgers, and the Braves are going to go with Ellie Johnson and his 263 career Woba at second base. As a Braves fan. I can't stand when they make decisions like this because Elliot Johnson has no offensive upside. Yeah, he's better defensively. But Dan Ugla still has the the strong history. He still takes a walk. He still has power. Obviously, the hits aren't falling in. He's not making good contact. But at least Ugla has that upside to give you 
a home run. Elliot Johnson, you know, it's a guaranteed zero at the plate. So that just bothers me. But Dan Ugla, since the beginning of August, he batted 103 with one home run. He underwent LASIK in mid-August. I'm sure many of us thought that that's going to be the solution. He'll be better. He wasn't. Are you giving up on him? Well, you know, one thing that might be easy to forget with Ugla is that he was a Rule 5 um, guy that, uh, you know, was a late bloomer. So he's 33. Some people might not might be surprised by that number. He's a little bit older than you might expect. Um, so there's some natural decline in there from his age uh, in terms of being able to make contact. So on some level, the fact that his swinging strike rate has gotten worse over the last four years, you know, every year um, is to be expected. That's that's what happens with age. You know, something that batters can do to counteract that is to know which pitches to pit, to swing at and get a little bit better in terms of gameplay and, and understanding, you know, their, their limits. Um, so that's how you can kind of stave off the effects of age. But at 33, being a high strikeout guy and with power naturally sort of declining, I am definitely a little worried about him. But at the same time, he managed to put up a, almost a 310 on base percentage this year. Um, and he hit 22 homers for a second baseman. In terms of deep league, definitely not giving up on him. In fact, I think he might be a great uh, sleeper sort of deep league uh, pick. And I'm in, I have him in a 20-team dynasty where we have an MI. And I'm definitely not trading him this offseason. I'm going to keep him. Um, but in terms of, you know... Is he going to be a top 12 second baseman next year? It's going to be very uh, touch and go. I think he'll be uh, probably he'll be ranked in a, in a batting average league. He'll be ranked maybe somewhere 12 through 14. I don't know. I mean, all the trends are going in the wrong direction. All the contact-related trends, a higher swinging strike rate, a lower contact rate, a higher strikeout rate. His batted ball distribution looks worse and worse. Line drive rate only 13% hitting more and more fly balls every single year. I mean, this basically suggests to me, and and he is somebody that I think you can label as having old player skills, right? A guy who doesn't make good contact, does take the walk, and has power. And these are the types of players that anecdotally, they kind of crash and burn at this age. So it seemed, it's funny because over the full season, he did produce a 303 Woba, which at second base isn't that terrible. But he only batted 179, and he lost playing time, you know, in September. So I'm sure most think that he was worse than he actually was offensively. But it seems like all the signs are here that he is pretty much done. Now, even at that, I still would prefer him over Elliot Johnson in the postseason because Elliot Johnson never was anything. He, he started off his career done. He was never there. Well, you know... I, the one thing that I, in a way, this is kind of weird, but I think that the money left on his contract actually helps him in a way because I think there's too much money on that contract for uh, the Braves to just cut him. Um, I think that there's still two more or three more years at uh, at 10 plus million. So I, I just don't think that they're going to, um, I don't think that they're going to just completely you know, up. Yeah, so I think they'll give him at least the spring. And if he, you know, dedicates himself and maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe LASIK is just something that you have to get used to. I mean, he's he's had contacts his whole career. Maybe, you know, and maybe it was just a bad slump when he came back. Maybe he just wasn't, the timing wasn't there. And, you know, I think that, you know, do I think that next year he could hit 230 
with like a 330 on base percentage and hit 20 homers out? Yeah. And do I think that's better than Elliot Johnson? Yeah. And do I think that the Braves might be able to see that, you know, once they, you know, sort of take a step back and once it's spring again? I think so. I think, I think you'll have a role, but um, I, I, also, those are modest totals that I'm saying. I, you know, that's definitely not vintage Dan Ugla. Uh, so I'm talking about old Dan Ugla when I'd say, you know, he's going to hit 230 and hit 20 homers. Yeah, I guess either scenario is quite plausible. I mean, I could easily see him basically being terrible. His strikeout rate doesn't rebound next year, and the Braves just had enough, and they do cut him. Or I can see him rebounding, hitting his 230. Getting his 25 to 30 home runs. You got to remember, he only had 448 at bats. So if you extrapolate that over a full, you know, 550, 600 at bat season, that's on a pace for you know 30 home runs. And we probably wouldn't be scrutinizing his season as much as we are now. But I guess it's the 179 average. But Adam Dunn hit like 159. What was it like two years ago? And and he rebounded back to his typical low 200s weights. So. And, and Carlos Pena has value, and Carlos Pena at second base has, has more value. Yeah, so he was like, cut too, so I don't know if he was the best example. Well, and he was cut from the Astros. So Yeah, but Pena is also older, I think. Uh, let me see. 1980 for Dan Ugla. He is 33. Pena is, yeah, Pena's 35. You're, you're right there. Uh, yeah, that's closer than I thought. Plus, Pena is also a first baseman. And so, obviously, the, the offensive bar is a lot higher. Than exactly, the yeah, yeah. All right, so basically, the bottom line with Ugly is we can see it going both ways. So he's going to be a risky pick next year. I don't think with a whole lot of upside. So, I mean, I know only league will probably be dirt cheap. So that's, no, I mean, that's why I use the example of my 20-team dynasty. Like, yeah. I'll, I'm going to hold on to him in that case because, you know, if I, if I cut him, it's to keep someone like Junichi Tazawa, which – you know, in a in a league in a saves league, I don't think is really worth keeping. You know, so I'd rather keep a guy who might be an MI and hit 330. So I mean, have a 330 on base. So uh, yeah, I, I'll revise my uh, mixed league ranking probably south of 15 or something, um, because yeah, even 12 through 14. I, I'm not looking at the list right now, but I I bet you Ricky Weeks shows up. You know, 11 through 13 somewhere in there, and I'd rather have Ricky Weeks. Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. Well, first of all, Ugla in an OBP league, he's, he's still gonna have value. Average league, it, it's less, less less of a guarantee. I mean, bringing up weeks, we don't know what the Brewers are gonna do because Scooter Jeanette, after he he didn't perform well at all when he had replaced Weeks initially, but then Weeks got injured, Jeanette was back up, and and Jeanette was on fire and, and finished the season fantastically. And so now there's an open question: Who's gonna be their second baseman next year? And we don't know. So no guarantee Weeks even has a starting job. Yeah, but Weeks is two years younger, and his bad season was not as bad. So hey, I still like Weeks. I'm just saying that from a Brewers perspective, we don't know what they're going to do at second base. Okay, well, I mean, I think it's fair to put them in the same general neighborhood. Yeah. I, you know, Weeks may be a, a, a step or two ahead. Yeah. Uh, so every year it seems like – well, for whatever reason, I only remember David Freeze doing this, but – most years, at least, there's always some, you know, lesser-known guy who becomes a postseason hero, has a huge playoffs, and then the next year in fantasy drafts, they get that playoff boost because everybody was watching them on the big stage and watching them on TBS and Fox and whatever channel. The playoff games were on, and, and that inflates their fantasy value. 
Uh, I can only remember David Freeze in recent years, but this does happen a lot. Are there any guys that you think that fit this mold who could potentially boost their draft costs when everybody's watching them on the big stage of the playoffs? Well, I think uh, I, I sort of thought about this in a kind of a, in a good way and a bad way. Um, and the first thing that came to me uh, in terms of might boost it um, in a bad way is that I think that Mil- Will Myers, like if he hits a couple of high-profile home runs, um, you know, people will ignore some of the, the flaws in his stat line and uh, maybe over-project his batting average next year, especially if he hits like 400 for a series with two home runs. I think that'll make him like a first rounder next year. A first, really? I mean, because he stole bases, and, and you have to remember, and like, I mean, I really do think that hype, like, happens like this. Especially the the way that it's really obvious to me is in the NBA draft. Um, there are players that play well in the NCAA tournament that always get overdrafted in the NBA draft, and it's always somebody who scored a lot of points and, you know, went off in the NCAA tournament and then turns out to be, you know, single dimensional. So I, I think that hype does have a lot of power and um, there, there, there could be, especially if Myers does it in two different series. Um, I think he really pushes his draft stock a bit high. I'm thinking for Myers right now, he's going to go third round and maybe a big playoffs can push him into the end of the second round. That's what I'm thinking. I think first is is too much, but I'm comfortable saying he'll go third round. Yeah, I I, I listened to um, a couple of veterans uh, break it down. I was uh, listening to what might be Matt Berry's and Nate Ravitz's um, last uh, last podcast. Um, That's good. And, All their listeners can come listen to us now. Yeah, and um, you know one of the things they were they were starting to get to like where does Ryan Braun fit, and they couldn't name you know, seven or eight players they wanted more than Ryan Braun. So, um, you know, you got Ryan Braun at seven, eight, nine, and uh, you're, then you're talking about, you know, maybe taking a pitcher, you know, eight, nine, ten. So, you know, when you're talking about the 11th and 12th spots in the first round, I think uh, absolutely um, you'll see some interesting picks next year. Some people still believe in Harper. We'll, we'll go from there. Stanton might go there. There's, I think the 11th and 12th picks next year are going to be uh, rough on people. All right. So any other names that you have for us aside from Will Myers? In a good way. Um, I, you know, I like what Sonny Gray's done this year, and uh, I just talked to him, so I'm going to do a nice little piece on him and, and his arsenal um, ahead of his, his Game 2 start. But uh, Sonny Gray here in, in his home park, um, I think he could have a, you know, a shutdown game. Um, I like what he's doing with his arsenal. He's got he's got two curveballs. Uh, one sort of functions like a slider, and the changeup isn't always there. And he, he admitted that to me. Uh, but when the changeup is there, he has something that he can work against lefties. Um, he's got a two seamer, and he's got great control. And he's he throws ninety four, so he has a great home park. I think Sonny Gray could be the best pitcher on this team next year, and uh, I think people might see that uh, on Saturday. You know. He's a good one. I completely forgot about him. And what's interesting is that he actually posts slightly better skills in the majors than he did at AAA. But what I really, really am confused about is his AA. What happened there? Where were the strikeouts? A 15% strikeout rate, but every other level he was at, it was you know a, like 23 plus percent. Where where did the strikeouts go? Well, I hate to I hate to blow my story out, but um, I it's just too perfect of an answer for you. We talked about that, and I said, "Did you did you put on gas? Because you know 
he's 94 now, and and I read reports where he wasn't that way. Um, and he said he said what what happened was in Double A we really wanted to focus on my control and command, and we really wanted to to work on my mechanics. So I focused on mechanics to the to the point where you know sometimes I wasn't comfortable um, the way I was throwing, and I wasn't you know I I wasn't I was thinking a lot about you know putting all the putting my body in the right spot at every time. And, um, you know, he said, once we kind of refine my mechanics in double A and this year in triple A, I just sort of let it go. So he said, you know, I felt like I'd repeated my mechanics enough where I didn't have to think about them anymore. And, uh, they, you know, those things clicked into place and I could throw. And he said the velocity came back once he, um, once he kind of let it, let it loose again. So I think, I think that period was good for him because, you know, he's showing great control and I think it's backed up by good uh, walk rate peripherals, so I believe in it. And um, and I think that you know it helped iron out whatever issues he had left. And the only thing to me that that actually separates him because he has good ground balls and strikeouts and walks. The only thing that separates me from him for me from like an elite, like a, a really really good pitcher, you know, in fantasy even is that changeup. So I just I you know I think that's something to watch on Saturday if you're watching for a fantasy eye. And uh, so who are some names you got? I got one more, but uh... yeah, I got some names. But just a quick thing. So his velocity was down in 2012, and basically fixing those mechanics is what uh, caused it to rebound. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, yeah, I didn't even realize that Sonny Gray was 53% ground ball. He's kind of like Garrett Cole in terms of peripherals, and actually Garrett Cole is one of the guys like Sonny Gray, very similar position here that I think has the opportunity to really make a name for himself. I mean, I still haven't really seen him pitch, and I'm excited to watch him uh, tonight. Is Yeah. Uh, oh, no, that's Friday that he's pitching. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle with all the really good rookie pitchers this year. And another opportunity... During the playoffs where everybody is watching, I think that can really boost Cole's draft stock. But another name I have is actually Will Middlebrooks because he's a guy who was really disappointing early in the season. He got demoted, and then since returning from the minors, he posted a 344 Woba versus a 267 before the demotion with improved strikeout and walk rates as well as eight home runs and 145 at-bats. So I think that given his really good debut last year, People are going to start to remember that and start to forget how much he struggled earlier this season and start to believe that he's a real nice sleeper rebound candidate and project again 25, 30 home runs next year and one of the the better third basemen in in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of that that second half split is uh, a better Babbitt, uh, and he still stuck out 24% of the time. So I actually... Kind of put him in the Myers territory, where a, a really good uh, off, a really good postseason could actually push him too far, uh, maybe, because you still have to you have to realize that he still has the risk of the first half in him. Yeah, uh, and he is still a, a strikeout prone batter, and so you know if he hits like 300 for the postseason, that doesn't mean he you know he's going to go hit 300 next year. So I think he, I would put him in the Will Myers class, where yes, I do think he's going to he, he has a chance to really improve his stock, but it could go too far. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily believe that he should 
see his draft cost increase if he has a good postseason. But I do think he's the type of guy that if he has a big postseason, it'll make people forget about his struggles early in the season and will inflate his draft cost and, and probably push him to overvalue territory. But I, I think a, a big part also is where he's at a bat in the lineup because he was kind of dropped to toward the end, and, and you don't really want your third baseman batting like ninth in a lineup because that's really going to hurt your your all your counting stats. Another guy I have on my list is Matt Adams, who had a really good half of a season. 17 home runs and just 296 at-bats, playing pretty much every single day with Alan Craig injured. We don't know what's going to happen with Adams next year, if he's going to have a full-time job or not, but clearly he's got tons of power, and he showed tons of power in the minors as well, so it's clearly no fluke. And he's a guy who could potentially be a 30-home run guy, and he's going to get some serious sleeper love if he has a big postseason, I think. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think that uh, he could definitely put himself on um, the radar for people next year um, with a good offseason, uh, with a good postseason. The, the thing that's interesting to me, too, though, is that um, he uh, he actually um, got started getting shifted in the second half. He's a big pull guy. And, uh, in, you know, it might just be coincidental, but the, uh, his batting average of balls in play dropped from, you know, the high 360s to uh, around 300 during that time. So, you know, I think uh, I, I like him. I think uh, I probably project him for about a 270, 275 average. He could, uh, he could hit 25 homers, though. He's a big guy. Um, and he could, t- he could hit more than that even. So, uh, and I do think he has a, a role next year. I mean... Uh, with Beltron gone, I think that the most obvious uh, solution for them is to to shift Craig to to the outfield and and, and uh, install Adams at first base. Yeah, I, I assume that Craig isn't exactly the best outfielder, so it depends on how much they want to downgrade their defense. But yeah, that does seem like the likeliest scenario at this point. All right, so moving along from Matt Adams, do you have any other names of potential? players that could boost their draft cost next year uh you know actually it was a weird one i don't know i don't know um i'm not like 100 percent sure about it but um you know I, I think that uh people probably remember neil walker um as being the guy who kind of struggled early in the season and um and might be surprised by some of the the stuff that he did in the second half of the season and also you know he could he could easily uh, hit a few homers and remind people that um, that he has uh, that he ha- that he has legit power for a second baseman. So and Neil Walker was a was for some reason was a name that came up in my head. Yeah, he actually he was a bit of a disappointment just because his bad bip was down, which is a good sign because that should clearly rebound his batted ball profile. Uh, looks fairly similar to last year, lots of line drives, and so the bad bip would rebound. I'm just concerned about the lack of steals. He stole seven last year, nine in 2011, only one this year. But he's never been a good base stealer, so maybe they just like, all right, Neil, you stink at base stealing. Stop stealing. So I don't think I would really expect a rebound there. And so then he just becomes more of a, a 15-homer, 270 guy, which is kind of blah and you know near replacement level. Yeah, it's true, but uh, in the second half, his strikeout rate uh, dropped down to about 12%, um, and his uh, isolated power was uh, almost 200. So, um, 
he's a former catcher, uh, and so I, you know, I'm kind of surprised he ever stole a lot of bases. But uh, I think that the, he has the ability to do something um, among his best seasons, something like a 280-20 type season, um, and uh, and 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 it's a little bit more about um, reminding people that he's uh, useful in deep leagues. I think. Yeah, I, he's one of those guys who I think are boring and nobody really wants to kind of get left with, but he does have some upside. I think also he only had 478 at-bats. He always seems to get have some injuries, but he is the everyday second baseman. So if he, once again, repeat those 596 at-bats that he posted in 2011 – then extrapolated, he's a 20 home run guy. And so, I, yeah, 20 home runs, 270 to 280 in the number two hole or the middle of a, an improved Pirates lineup. Yeah, I, boring, but it has value. And it's probably going to be undervalued. And, uh, you know, for what it's worth, he's right in his peak seasons or, you know, you know he, could have, he could have his peak season next year. So I don't think that he's necessarily uh, done improving, so... Um, you know, it's also interesting because the Pirates own a, a bit of a power advantage over the Cardinals, um, which might surprise some people. And uh, if the Pirates uh, prevail, I think um, it'll mostly be on the back of, of, of some power hitting. And, uh, and if it is, you know, power hitting across the board, then maybe Neil Walker takes, takes part in it. Sticking with the Pirates, Francisco Liriano, he actually was strong all season long. I mean, he, he it was a little bumpy toward the finish, but we talked about him a lot early on in his first couple of starts, wondering if this was for real. And it turned out, yes, it was for real. 3.02 ERA over 161 innings. He ended up being the 24th most valuable starting pitcher, according to CBS, and the 97th overall most valuable player. What do you see for him next year? You think he's a, a top 25 starter again Maybe top thirty? Is he a top hundred guy? Uh, it's just it's too hard to it's too hard to pencil him into you know something like he did this year again, just because he's been so up and down. I mean, you you could you could take any stat and it's so up and down. I mean, take innings pitched. That's a weird one to take, but you know, 120, 140, 190, 130, 150, 160. So, I mean, no matter what, you, you can't project him for more than 150 innings next year. And you take ERA, he bounces from 3 to 6 to 3 to 5 to 5 to 3. So, you know, look at his career totals, 4 ERA, 133 whip, you know, about 120 innings per, per season. Um, I have to use that as a baseline, although obviously not all of those innings um, came in the National League, and that's a big part of why he's doing well this year, I think. Yeah, what also boosted his value, 16 wins in 161 innings, that's a pace of 20 wins over 200 innings. There's no way that he wins that many games in that few innings again. And that is, you know, really boosted his value to push him into the top 25. I don't think that happens again, so I definitely don't think he's going to be top 25 I'm probably going to say not top 30 either because I always say innings is a skill. And if you have never proven that you can go more than 190 innings, I'm never going to project you for that. So I probably won't project him for any more than 170 next year. And that's really going to hurt him, hurt his win totals, hurt his strikeout totals. 
he's not going to help you in whip probably because his control still isn't that great. And so you're basically hoping for a good ERA, which I think is legit, and, and strikeouts in the innings that he does pitch. How about comparing him to Homer Bailey? Because he actually ranked just ahead of Liriano on the year. Between those two, who would you prefer next year? I think Bailey's had just a much more um, solid and, and uh, he's just he's, his 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 growth has been um, if you graphed it would be a smoother trajectory, you know. And that just for some reason that makes me feel better. If you graphed Liriano's, it's up down up down, you know. And uh, so I think I would take Bailey. But um, one nice thing about Liriano, I was just looking at his velocity. Uh, he's actually been going up in velocity late in the season, so. Um, you know, maybe it's just like the first time he's felt really healthy, um, which is ironic because he, you know, went on the DL this year. But, um, you know, it is there is something to be said for being able to take two or three batters off in a lineup, which is not something he could do in uh, the American League. Yeah, uh, I'm going with Bailey as well. The big thing here, 210 innings about the last two years. That is huge. That is 50 more innings than Liriano pitched this year. And and that is the big difference in value between the two. Even though Bailey's strikeout rate isn't as strong, he still had almost 40 more strikeouts just because of the innings difference. And you can't assume he's going to have horrible run support like he did this year. Only 11 wins in 209 innings despite being on a pretty good offense. Uh, also, what excites me about Bailey, his velocity jumped significantly from 92.5 last year to 94.1 this year. His swinging strike rate was up. His strikeout percentage was up. All the trends were great. And I think he still has the potential for improved ERA, again, in, in the low threes rather than the mid threes. So I'm definitely taking Bailey over Liriano next year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, how about Chris Johnson? He was quite the story this year. Started out in a platoon, somewhat of a platoon, with Juan Francisco. And then he just kept singling his way to taking over the job. And Francisco was eventually uh, – was he He was traded to the Brewers, I believe. I don't remember. I don't even remember who they got back or if he was just cut. And, uh, and if the Brewers just picked him up on waivers. Either way, they got rid of Francisco. Chris Johnson took over the everyday third base job. He – Finished second in batting average in the NL at 321, led baseball with a 394 Babbitt, but for a long time it was well over 400, and he was he was looking at you know coming close to setting a, a Babbitt record for a single season. Obviously that didn't happen, but he's basically an empty batting average. You think he's going to be overvalued next year? Um, yes, probably. Uh, he still strikes out so much in an average year that. It takes that crazy of a Babbitt to, to put up a respectable batting average, not even a 321 in batting average. So, um, I, I do think he, if people were looking too closely at that 321, they'll, they'll uh, overvalue him. But my caveat for that is the fact that uh, his his career Babbitt <clears throat> is 361, and uh, when I when I did my uh, Oppo research, um, he's one of these guys that kept showing up as a spray hitter with power. So, uh, uh, so it, you know, it is, it is an interesting thing that he is able to hit to all fields. Uh, you, can't, you can't shift him to defend him, and that's part of the batting average of balls in play um, 
you know, story there. Yeah, he kind of has a Joey Votto batted ball distribution going on there and the ability to go the opposite way. But what surprises me is his lack of power because he's a big guy. His batted ball distance this year was 289 feet, which is well above the league average. And yet for his career, his home run per fly ball is pretty much league average. So I, I feel like he has upside, and he's just never shown it. So you just wonder if that upside is ever going to manifest itself. I mean, he looks like a potential future 20 home run guy, maybe batting 290-300, in which case he would earn decent value in fantasy leagues. Yeah, but you know some of that issue um, is the, the fact that he was hitting like 45% ground balls. So... Um, you know, the, the, and or or the fact that he's hitting twenty eight percent fly ball, so the, the the fly ball rate went down, and that probably helps his batting some, but it also hurt his his bat, uh, his power. So, I mean, you know, I I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be him a plus batter if he starts shifting the batted ball mix a little bit more for the power side. But maybe he has a choice between hitting two seventy with uh, twenty home runs or you know two ninety with fifteen home runs. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, he's never really shown that 25 home run power that it appears like he might have. So it's all speculation. But, I mean, he is dangerously close to being worthless next year. But I bet, based on that 321 batting average, that he is drafted in every 12-team mixed league. Speaking of the Braves, how about one of the biggest stories of the year in Evan Gaddis? Brian McCann, free agent, the Braves... The talk is they're probably not going to try too hard to re-sign him. And, hey, when you have Evan Gaddis behind the plate hitting 21 home runs and 354 at-bats, why, why sign Brian McCann? Yeah, I mean, everyone's sort of assuming that they'll let McCann go. Uh, and, you know, it does look like Gaddis can be a decent uh, catcher. So, um, you know, I don't – I think uh, – you know, well, his defensive numbers weren't good with us, um, and that is a problem with Gaddis. And if you've seen him play the, you know, left field, it's it's pretty oh, bad. It's bad in left field. No, he's he, he better be a catcher, or he's not going to be playing. Yeah, or first baseman, which you know is blocked. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they trade him and sign McCann. I mean, they they are going to have a little bit more money next year, like most people, um, because of the, the TV money. But um, I don't know. I. Uh, I think that I'm not as I'm not as sure about this whole not resigning McCann thing as it, as uh, I've seen people be in the media. So, yeah, the thing with Gaddis though is that aside from his power, he doesn't really look that like that great of a hitter. The walk rate stinks. He struck out more than at any level in the minor leagues. Now, granted, his minor league sample isn't exactly very big. He didn't hit a whole lot of line drives, and on base percentage of 291. It's just not really. Fourteen uh, percent line drive rate. Yeah, it's just uh, not good. And one last number, he is twenty-seven. So this could easily be his peak. Yeah, I mean he's he's a risk. He's somebody in a real baseball sense that you're really not sure what you're going to get with him moving forward. I mean he could be a, a one-season power wonder. And and then he just doesn't do anything for the rest of his career. Oh my God! Check out. Are you looking? Check out his O swing percentage. Now I'm even yeah. more nervous than I was. Yeah. Forty five percent outside swing percentage versus the league average of thirty one percent. There's no reason that a pitcher would ever throw him a strike again. Yeah, and uh, he doesn't. 
his walk rate is accordingly was accordingly bad five percent. So, um, I think that guys with flaws like that at the plate um, can be figured out, and uh, you know that. I don't think the Braves are so sure about their offense that they are like, oh, we can let McCann go and Gaddis will do just as much. So, yes. uh, if they if they find someone else that they can sign, you know, because there's always the draft pick stuff now is an issue, right? So, if they let's say they signed, I'm just saying Ellsbury, but it's not going to be Ellsbury. But let's say they signed Chu, right? And they were like, okay, we're going to use Chu to replace McCann, and then we're going to keep Gaddis. Chu a catcher? <laughs> huh? I said Chew playing catcher. No, just in terms of offense. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll find a way. We'll put Chew in center and, and platoon him with Upton or something. I don't know. But my point is, um, if they found a way to replace offense somewhere else and then, you know, use Gaddis as the cheap replacement for McCann, that makes sense. But Gaddis is not the catcher or not the offensive force that McCann is. And uh, if you do sign someone else, then you lose a pick. Whereas if you just re-sign McCann, you, you don't lose a pick. So that's why I think there is a, a chance that the Braves actually sign, re-sign McCann. Yeah, and it's real tempting to look at those 21 home runs and 354 at-bats for Gaddis. Think about the possibilities if he was a, an everyday catcher and he got 450 to 500 at-bats in a season. And thinking about from a fantasy perspective, wow, this could be a 30 home run guy. He could be a top five catcher. But again, with so many flaws in his offensive profile – I'm, I would be very nervous about him and, and him reaching that type of potential. Yeah, I, I'd love to see them. Uh, I, you know, I, I think the ballsy move, you know, in across leagues, fantasy and real, would be to trade him. I think that would be a really interesting play because I think his value is pretty high and it's based on some things that haven't happened yet. And uh, as we've said, there's some flaws there. And in, even in real life, it'd be, I think it'd be really fun for them to trade into an AL team where they can say, you know, things don't work out. He can still be our DH or something and, uh, and get, get a veteran piece back. Because, you know, like I said, uh, McCann's going to be the easiest, the easiest team. The team that's going to have the best chance to sign, re-sign McCann, or to sign McCann is the Braves uh, because of that draft pick nonsense. So um, I do think... Uh, the interesting move here is to trade uh, Gaddis now. Yeah, that would be pretty entertaining to, to see unfold because Gaddis is not the type of player that normally gets traded in, in real baseball. I mean, that's the type of trade that happens in fantasy that you just sell high on Gaddis. But a journeyman who had the t- – well, he's not really a journeyman, but the guy who had the type of path that Gaddis had and then the year he had, he's not somebody that gets traded. He's either somebody that gets kept, let's see what we have, or he's given another chance – he sucks it up. He gets released, and that's the end of his career. Right, right, right. You see this type of guy traded. It's yeah, like, but what if what if the Yankees had traded Kevin Moss? <laughs> they, that would have been very beneficial for the team. It, it, it's like the Twins tr- uh, trading like Chris Colabello if he had a, a hot month or something. It's just not something that you ever see happen. So I think it would be very interesting if the Braves did get into trade negotiations uh, involving Gaddis. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yep. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again uh, next Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podwerzer. Thanks for tuning in.